Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Star Wars Bookworms. Enjoy. Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. So, Aaron, I think you finally caved and bought something Porg-related. If, uh, technically, yes. Technically. <laughs> technically, there's a Porg. But I did buy something that, yeah, I did buy a Chewbacca Funko Pop on Force Friday, That and he's holding a Porg, but the Porg is literally only, like, you know, a quarter of an inch tall. Well, I mean, they're not supposed to be big. Unless you had, like, the four-foot-tall pork from Target that you won on Force Friday. I'm just saying I didn't go out and buy, like, a full-size pork. Well, did anybody buy a full-size pork? Oh, I mean, like, they have all the plush... They have, like, these bunch of different sizes of plush porks. Then they have the ones that, like, sing or make noise when you touch the belly. Well, I know that, because I I own, like, ten ten pork things. (laughs) Ten already? I think I think it's oh at ten goodness. now, but let's give some background. So, Aaron tweeted out after it must have been somewhere when a few weeks ago. You tweeted out that you weren't excited about porgs, or that you don't like porgs, or something. Why I think the tweet was as simple as I don't really like porgs. There, I said it. It was kind of in response to just this porg phenomenon that just came out of nowhere and i was just like i just didn't get it and so i i don't know why typically i don't i i try to not tweet negative things if i can avoid it um even if i have a strong opinion about something because i just don't think talking negatively about things is very constructive but i just couldn't stay silent i just didn't understand why what's the what's the matter with it what you just don't get like the porg fascination or you don't like them even though you've never (laughs) met or talked to one ever prejudging them um i don't know like it i just i think it was a surprise to me the big fan surge of enthusiasm about these porgs and it just it seemed to kind of come out of nowhere i saw them in the in that sizzle reel and they didn't they literally didn't phase me at all like I saw it, moved on to the next thing. There were a bunch of other things in there that got me excited other than porgs. But for whatever reason, everybody really latched onto these porgs. And then it just became this thing. So I, I, yeah, I will say I'm, it's amazing. I'm, it's right. See, you're like in, on what basis? What's amazing about them? So what's well, OK, here's where I come from. We really haven't had a cute character since the Ewoks. And I think one of the things I like about these is that they're not a sentient being meaning they don't they're not going to talk and they're just sort of a piece of the landscape but we haven't really had anything like that other than like there's been some just like passes by some creatures but there hasn't any been anything like kind of cute and fluffy looking you know so you know i don't know it's like a cute little animal for everybody to get attached to and they make noises like this Oh my gosh. That was hideous. <laughs> That's not the one I thought it was going to do. It has two different it has two different ones. Okay, wait. All right, wait. There. 
That sounds That's like it's choking. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like I need to give it the Heimlich or something. Uh, oh. <laughs> that's the that's the life size pork from Target. So we were talking about, you know, buying life size porks. This is the one from Target. People are having a little bit of trouble finding it because it's selling out. It's by the company Seven Twenty, and so I'm assuming this is about how big they actually are. If it's life size, okay. Like, yeah. It's, so it is what it is. I I mean I think it's fine. I'm coming around on them. I was at Hot Topic last night. There was a little pork plush. Um, it was probably about a, not life size, but maybe half size. And it wasn't fluffy really. It was kind of more of a smooth one. And it, it was like kind of cool looking. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll get this for one of my kids. But then I quickly was like, no, no, not, not gonna do it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> funny. <laughs> but there's a lot of other cool stuff out there for The Last Jedi, especially with the Force Friday, you know, release. So what were some other things that you got that were not pork related? Oh, there's not many. Not uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> there's not. Uh, I bought the Hera Black Series figure because I had to have that. And then I did get the two-pack of Hot Wheels character cars of Rey and Training and Luke. And then the BB Hates. <laughs> mm-hmm what they call him but bb90 uh character car and then pretty much everything else is pork related i got pork pops two of them target exclusive i got the three and three quarter inch chewy with a pork i got the pork pop vinyl you bought pork pez dispenser <laughs> really? uh, i have a little keychain pork the pez dispenser pez yeah uh a little pork keychain plushy thing that makes noise and then my mom went by the disney store actually and she got me the stuffed porg from the disney store which is like really kind of like a silky soft fur and so my porgs are named puddle and pippin <laughs> you named puddle and your pippin porgs the, puddle and pippin the porgs all the fangirls of going fangirls going rogue have named their porgs so uh it's been a it's been an interesting time. Oh, and then she also got me the Porg coffee mug from the Disney store, which was actually sculpted re- really really cool. And then yesterday, I guess she'd been debating on whether or not she was going to give them to me. She bought me the women's Porg pajamas. So there's like a long sleeve top and um, pants that just have Porgs printed all over them, and then the top says Star Wars right in the middle. Freaking awesome! So cool. Wow. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're excited about Porgs. I am. Oh, one other thing I did buy. I did actually buy this. I think I told you that I was going to get this. And it's the Art of Coloring book by Katie Cook. So it's her cutesy drawings that she does, and it's all Star Wars characters. And it's actually probably one of my favorite things that I bought. Uh, it was... How much were you, book? It was fifteen ninety nine, And what's neat about it is that it goes... From like it goes through all six of the original movies, uh, well, I guess seven because it has Force Awakens in there too. But it also has some pages at the very back that are uh, Last Jedi. So that's really neat, actually. <laughs> that's really cool. I was noticing that about the um, Star Wars Made Easy book that the very end there's some last jedi stuff and there were some things in there that i hadn't seen before so i was like oh that's 
that's pretty cool that you know there already is some literature out there that you can start getting new last jedi stuff out of yeah and i actually think that this art of coloring book a lot of people should get because the it's just really cute stuff like the first page that's last jedi is luke sitting on a rock on octo looking like super sad like staring at all these steps <laughs> And then there's a page with the caretakers, and then the porgs are all sitting in trees. And there's some ones with ships flying around. There's where Ray's trying to give Luke the lightsaber, and he's just looking at her like crazy. <laughs> there's one with General Leia, uh, Rose and Finn, and then probably, oh, there's one of Snoke, where you can actually see him like standing with his Praetorian guards. And then I think my favorite one is the very last page. And it is Chewie in the cockpit of the Falcon with one, two, three, four, five, six porgs. And they're all doing stuff like pulling wires out of the Falcon and eating things. And he's just looking at them like, stop, please. (laughs) So are the porgs going to be like the cute Minox of The Last Jedi? Maybe. Where they're kind of like causing trouble and like, you know, maybe doing damage to the Falcon, but in a much cuter way than a Minoc does. Maybe. It's possible. Maybe. But, so what did you end up actually doing for Force Friday? We know what you got. You didn't buy a whole ton. You just bought a couple things, right? Yeah, just a few things. Um, I did end up going out, doing trying to do the midnight thing, which I know you did as well, and doing the lineup at the Toys R Us. Um, so I did that and got the... You know, free giveaway poster and the Funko Pop T-shirt they were giving away. At, that has a porg on it. It does have a porg on it. I have not opened it yet. I'm thinking I might sell it. Uh, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> that was at Toys R Us, and and that's pretty much it. I tried to swing by a Target as well on my way back home, but unfortunately, that Target um, was not one of the ones that had a midnight opening. So it was pretty much just Toys R Us for me, at least on the on the actual midnight opening. And I just went in, got the Luke Skywalker Funko Pop and the Chewbacca Funko Pop with Porg in hand. And then I also got a Lego set, which I got the, I forget the exact name of the set, but it's basically like a resistance shuttle. And it has Finn and Rose uh, minifigs, and I think BB-8 as well. So I haven't built it yet, but I do have that, and I'm looking forward to building that one. And that's pretty much it, but I did go out a couple days later and grab the Hera Black series. Uh, six-inch figure, which is my second six-inch figure because I'd gotten one as a gift. Uh, I'd gotten a Revan as a gift, and I've never opened it. But Hera is the first that I actually went out and bought myself, and I was really impressed with that figure. It's really awesome. Cool. So yeah, I opened it. I'm not a. I'm not a. I don't keep things in box, and I know you're kind of the same way I am with that. Although I think you I keep your. Certain th- you I keep am your a black certain series thing. in box, don't you? Yeah, anything that's small and can be easily chewed on by a cat typically stays in a box right now until I have better display possibilities. Yeah, but you're not keeping it in box because you're like trying to retain value for resale no. and all that. You just it's no. more storage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's pretty much everything I got. Um and I, you know, I tried to go kind of modest this year. I don't want to spend a ton of money, so um I thought it was it worked out pretty well. Well, cool. I, uh, like I said, I kind of named the things I got already. And, 
I had fun. We went to Toys R Us first, and I got the shirt and the poster. Then we did go by Target, and uh, they were kind of out of everything. And so I went to the Target near my house at 8 o'clock the next morning and was able to get the stuff I had missed, which was like the Target-exclusive Pop Vinyl, Porg, and Hera, Black Series, things like that. And I also got buttons uh, at the Target I went to in the morning. The bring your Ray game buttons. So those are pretty cool. And inadvertently, it wasn't really a Force Friday thing on purpose, but it was pretty close. I bought some buttons from Galactic Flare, which is a company run by Sarah Dempster. She's on Twitter and stuff. And she was at Dragon Con, actually. And she makes these uh, women of Star Wars buttons, like the silhouettes of their head and stuff. So I have Ahsoka and Hera. I have all three versions of Sabine, Jen, Padme, Leia, and Rey. I ran into Sarah at Dragon Con, and she gave me a Phasma of that. Oh, cool. So I have the one you don't have, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I don't have Phasma. That stinks. Maybe I'll send and, it oh, to there's you an so Ida, there's an Iden Versio, too. Oh, and nice. I don't have I don't have her. I was actually gonna go and look it up and see what other ones there are that I don't have. But I know I don't have Iden. Oh, there's also a Ventress, and I don't have that one either. Cool. Where can people buy? Oh, Race Loan too. There's Race Loan, and you know what? The Phasma one isn't even on her website, so that is and something that's kind of an exclusive i guess unless she decides to post it but there's an item versio of interest in a race loan and i don't have those but i plan on getting them and i will gladly take your phasma if you don't want it <laughs> well now that i know it's an exclusive i don't know oh, okay you shouldn't have told uh, me <laughs> so you can actually go to etsy and just for look for galactic flare on etsy and you'll find her shop the pins themselves are about $2.50 each, or you can buy them in groups. You can actually buy Ahsoka, Hera, and Sabine all together for like $5.75, and same cost for Rey, Padme, and, Padme, and Leia. So she does have some bundles. And it looks like there's a new Rey one. Oh, no, and that Rey one's the same. Just kidding. <laughs> but she does have all three season versions of Sabine, which is pretty neat. So you can pick, like, which Sabine you like the best, or you can get them all. Nice. Yeah. So we mentioned Dragon Con, and you were there. So tell me a little bit about Dragon Con. You were on two panels. Uh, let's start. Was the Rebels panel first, or? Yes. Yeah, the Rebels okay, panel. Okay, so let's start there. Was first. Um, I ended up being on the panel. It was kind of a weird situation that happened. It was a last-minute. I was a last-minute addition. So I wasn't uh, necessarily prepared to be on the panel, but I was added to the panel and I got to be up there with um, most of our listeners are familiar with Bethany Blanton and Bria, who um, also have, have both been on our podcast before. So they were the other fans on the panel. And then Timothy Zahn and Henry Gilroy were on the panel as well. So it was pretty it was kind of a typical Dragon Con panel. If anyone's ever been to Dragon Con before, a lot of uh crowd questions kind of drove the panel um but they gave a lot of really cool insight and it was cool to have timothy zahn up there with henry gilroy because henry gilroy being he's like um i think he's like head writer and one of the executive producers of star wars rebels 
he he has a lot more insight on the production of the show, and then Timothy Zahn had a lot of insight into the character of Thrawn. And because Thrawn is such a big deal right now in Rebels, it was kind of cool to have you know fr- from both sides of um, both both sides of things there. So yeah, it was it was a really fun panel to be on, and I had seen I'd been I mean you know, obviously me and you have been on panels with Timothy Zahn before we you know we've hosted panels at Dragon Con that he's been on, but. Uh, this was the first time I was on a panel with Henry Gilroy, so and, and he's one of those. He's kind of like a Dave Filoni type, in just his deep knowledge of everything, and he's one of those guys that's like really fun to listen to. So it was a, it was a great time. Do you know anybody that has that Rebels panel posted anywhere? Yeah, I believe uh, who did the Rebels one. I think I posted it on our uh, Bookworms group in Facebook. Mm-hmm. I posted a link to it, and I'm forgetting the name of the podcast. It was um, the Mopcast Network, which I believe hmm. is is by a guy named Scott. Well, he was in the crowd, and he just got crowd audio from it. So it's not like the greatest audio. It, it wasn't straight from the soundboard, but it's 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 pretty good still. I listened back to it. Um, so yeah, if anybody wants to check out the audio from that panel, they can check it out on um, on his site. And if you want to find the link to that, you can just go over to our Facebook group and. And we link to it there. Cool. So then you also did another panel. You did the Legends to Canon panel, which is obviously right up your alley. So tell us a little bit about that. I think, is that the, no, that's not the panel that we have audio from. Sneak peek. (laughs) We have audio actually coming up from DragonCon for you guys to listen to. But this was all fans, right? Yeah, this was completely a fan panel. Um, most of the people that were on the panel were other podcasters. Uh, so we had uh, Matt Rushing was on there, uh, Bruce Gibson, Bria. I'm trying to remember everybody's name because so I don't leave somebody out. But uh, the guy from Star Wars Explained who does the YouTube channel was up there. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting people, but it was kind of a pretty large group of people up on the panel. And yeah, it was just fan panel. Everybody talking about kind of their favorite stuff from both canon and legends and trying to focus on kind of the more recent stuff, more recent releases. So there was a lot of talk about things like Rebel Rising and um, Inferno Squad and the current comic book series. And then we did dive back into, you know, stuff in the past too. A lot of crowd questions. So people were asking about legends, like you get your typical questions about legends. And if you could have one character jump from legends into canon, who would it be? And that kind of stuff. So it was a fun, a fun panel to do, and that one uh, there's audio for that one out there as well. Uh, Matt Matt Rushing's podcast network uh, released an episode on the Six O Two Club with the audio from that, which I believe we linked to from our Facebook page as well. Very cool. Yeah, you know that panel. I know we they have to have it at Dragon Con. It makes total sense and everything. I just I'm kind of tired of that one question. Yeah. Like if you could pick somebody from Legends to put into canon, who yeah. would it be? I, I feel like we've been asking that question ever since Legends became Legends. and Because I remember even when we did the panel at DragonCon, that was still a question then. So it's just kind of like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that question got asked on every panel that had anything to do with books. So if there was an author panel, because there were a handful of author panels. The one that we're going to share audio for... Um, had most of the authors on it, but then they had more focused panels on uh, with specific authors, and and then obviously this fan panel. And I think every single panel that question was asked. 
Mm-hmm. So, yep, it's a it's a common Dragon Con question. Yeah. I mean, I know why that one is asked all the time. Yeah. You know. But So, do you have anything else that happened at Dragon Con that you want to talk about and share with our listeners? I wasn't there, so, but I know a lot of people from Star Wars Report were there and, you know, a lot of, there was a lot of people at Dragon Con this year. Yeah, there were a lot of people who was sad that you couldn't join us. Um, they did do a couple, of, like they did a book release for Phasma and uh, Princess Leia. Leia, Leia Princess, Princess of Alderaan. Alderaan. Uh, so they did it like an actual book book release party. They called it for that, and so they had a panel with Claudia Gray and Delilah Dawson, and then they did a book signing. So that was that was kind of a cool a cool thing, and I ended up volunteering in that so I could help you know fold the book flaps back so they could sign them (laughs) um so yeah that was a pretty cool event and then just yeah like i said a lot of really great author panels so we'll you know we'll definitely share the audio and i think the panel that we are sharing the audio for is the one that every author that was at dragon con is on this this panel so so yeah cool dragon con seems to be the place to go or at least one of the 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 cons to go to specifically for star wars authors a lot of them go there Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely seems like it. But I think somebody might have dressed up as Spider-Man for the day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, yeah, I did. I dressed up as Spider-Man. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I didn't think you were going to say that on the podcast. But, yeah, I did do that. I kind of have a bit of a funny story because you, you had kind of – you gave me a little bit of a pep talk. You're really good at that because you are so much better than I am at talking I'm like thanks in general no. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're like i know just at kind of socializing and talking to the the pros like if we go to a con and there's authors there you know you go out of your way to go talk to the authors you want them to know about our podcast you ask them about interviews you're really good at that i'm not as good at that as you are um i can kind of get myself up into that that state and and do it if i have to but it comes a lot more natural to you so you had given me a bit of a pep talk, like, hey, you really should talk to, you know, Claudia Gray, and you should talk to Delilah Dawson and try to, you know, see if we can get some interviews. Uh, so I had planned to do it, but I also had planned to wear a Spider-Man costume on Saturday, <laughs> um, which, was the, <laughs> which was the day that I had the opportunity to see some of these authors. And I ended up uh, seeing Elizabeth Schaefer from Delray Books, who also is is writing um, a Star Wars book, a Star Wars kids book. And I saw her there, so I was like, oh, this would be a good opportunity for me to introduce myself to her, see if maybe she wants to come on the show. And I'm, But I was in full Spider-Man costume, so, but I, I didn't want to pass up on the opportunity. And I, I when I first went up and talked to her, I could tell she was just kind of like, oh, who's this random Spider-Man talking to me? Uh, but quickly, <laughs> real, and I introduced myself, told her what, what uh, podcast I was from, told her I knew Arish, uh, mentioned your name, and then obviously she kind of was like, oh, okay, I, I know I know your podcast, she was aware of us, and so, um, but I did get a chance to talk to her for a little bit, and she said she definitely would love to come on the show, awesome. and same thing, Delilah Dawson, um, after, after one of her panels, I walked up to the stage and introduced myself in full Spider-Man costume, and got her to uh, agree to come on the show as well, so, so yeah did that (laughs) (laughs) it was kind of awkward but 
it happened. You had to do it in a Spider-Man. You know what, though? That'll be really fun for when we have him on the show and be like, hey, so you remember that guy that was dressed up like Spider-Man that came up to you and you were like, what are you doing? <laughs> right. That was Aaron. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure when I started to walk up to Delilah Dawson, she started to like kind of look Back for an away. escape route. Yeah, she was like, who is this random person? <laughs> oh, my God. No, it's okay. It's okay. I do a podcast. <laughs> I'm not just crazy. Like, <laughs> it's pretty good. So, all right, there were some other books, and we kind of mentioned them already that came out. But Disney uh, Publishing, Lucasfilm Publishing, released Star Wars BB-8 on the Run. This book is actually written by Drew DeWalk, and then it's illustrated by Matt Myers, and it is a gorgeous book. The art in this thing is amazing. It's kind of like a landscape book. And it's like $17.99, and I had gotten a preview of it along with like a lithograph print that was signed, And but the art in this thing is awesome. I think most people would enjoy having this, even as like a coffee table book. It's very cool. And so it's basically about BB-8 on between when he leaves Poe and meets up with Ray. It's kind of like his adventures that he went on on Jakku. So... Oh, cool. It's pretty I neat. Am... And you remember how we talked about some of those Disney books have that really, like, soft cover? Yes. You like Lost Stars and stuff? This is the same way. It has that same, like, real soft cover. Oh, all Star Wars books should have that. All Star Wars books should have that. They need to expand it across all lines. <laughs> soft covers for everyone. And soft covers for everyone. And we don't mean soft like a paperback. Like, the the book jacket itself just has this really nice plush feel to it. I don't know if that makes any sense. It's kind of hard to explain unless but, you unless you experience it. Yeah. And then, of course, Phasma came out, written by Delilah Dawson. This is one of the ones I've been really excited about just because she seems really cool. I like following her on Twitter, and I really admire her quite a bit just from what I've seen so far. So I am excited to dive into it. I have not started it yet, uh, but there are... There are exclusives for this. So you can get the regular one, and then there's the Walmart edition, which has a double-sided poster in it. And then there's, what, a Barnes & Noble edition and a Target edition that all have posters? I know there's three I different so. ones that have three – there's three different posters you can get in the exclusive editions, but I'm not sure which stores carry which one. Well, I don't know which stores carry which one, but I know Walmart has a book, has an exclusive edition Target and Barnes & Noble. Okay. So you'll have to check those out. But I'm excited for it. I'm going to be reading it via audiobook. I bought the audiobook already. Um, and I think you have started it, correct? Yeah, I did start it. I had hoped to finish and it. And that's all you're going to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> A little bit more. So yes, I did. I did read about seventy pages so far, and I'm really I'm I'm enjoying it. It's a it's a different different than I thought it was going to be, but I'm I'm definitely enjoying it. And I won't say anything else because I know you don't like you don't like to uh, hear about books before you get a chance to read them yourself. Yeah, well, I don't mind if it's something I'm not really super interested in, but I actually am interested in this one. Okay. Yeah. So now. The one I'm probably most excited about, which I'll probably read first as soon as I'm done with Inferno Squad, I'm just about there, is Leia, Princess of Alderaan by Claudia Gray, because I just absolutely love everything that Claudia Gray does. She's amazing, and the way she writes is awesome. She is hilarious, so, too. 
Yeah. Like in the, yeah, these panels. I saw her on like two or three different panels at DragonCon, and she's just she's hilarious. And the panel audio that we're gonna play today, you'll hear it in that. But yeah, she's she's great. You can see where the humor that in her books comes from. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited for for this one. So it's the I'm actually looking at it right now, and the art on the on the cover is just so it's pretty. Mm-hmm. So pretty, so pretty. But yes, I'm very excited about it. And you know, it's funny they put on the the little thing they do when they send out copies. It says ages twelve to eighteen years. I'm like, oh, so for me, <laughs> we're too old for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm excited. So I guess let's turn this over to the audio from DragonCon. On this panel that you will be listening to, you will hear the voices of. T- Tim Zahn, Kevin J. Anderson, Delilah Dawson, Claudia Gray, and E.K. Johnston. Do you know who moderated this panel? They didn't really have a moderator. It was um, Brandy from the, the she's the the um, the track director for the Star Wars track at DragonCon. So Brandy kind of kicked things off with some questions and then turned it over, pretty much turned it over to audience questions. So there wasn't really a moderator, but it, it went really well though. As of yesterday, Leia, Princess of Alderaan. Uh, my name is Delilah S. Dawson. I write uh, horror thrillers, young adult fantasy, and my Star Wars book is my first Star Wars book, which is Phasma. Um, hello, my name is E.K. Johnston, and my Star Wars book is Star Wars Ahsoka. And I'm Kevin J. Anderson, and I wrote the Jedi Academy trilogy and Darksaber, and edited the three tales of Mos Eisley Cantina and Jabba's Palace and Bounty Hunters books. Co-authored the Young Jedi Knights with my wife Rebecca Mesta. Did all the Dark Lords of the Sith comics. And as I always joke, I also did the Jabba's Palace pop-up book, but this time somebody actually brought a pop-up book. (laughs) And there are sound effects, too. (laughs) I'm Timothy Zahn. We were too poor to afford middle initials. I've written 11 Star Wars books and a bunch of other things. The latest uh, came out in April of Star Wars Thrawn. Who's that book about? All right, so we'll get things started. Um, Who's your favorite character in Star Wars, whether you wrote that person or not? Well, you've got to do two questions of that. That's not fair. So let's start with who's your favorite overall Star Wars character? Let me think. Uh, Okay, Thrawn of mine, of the originals, toss-up between Han and young Obi-Wan. I think it's Gonk, hands down. Uh, the, the character depth of, of Gonk. Um, let's see. Uh, of my characters, I, I think I really like Tenel Ka, who was one of the young Jedi Knights, and she just 
touched so many of the readers. We got so much fan mail from her that uh, we're just very proud of, of her. Um, of the characters in the movies, um, probably Obi-Wan. Yeah, Obi-Wan, I think. <laughs> well, there, there are different parts of Obi-Wan, and I was trying to think, well, I don't like that part, but do I like this part enough? Um, the, my favorite character that I got to write was Caden uh, Larty, um, and my favorite character in Star Wars is Leia Organa. Mm -hmm. So um, my, my favorite character that I got to write, I basically got three to choose from at this point. <laughs> uh, but, but definitely Phasma, because because she's Phasma, y'all. <laughs> um, and and I, I, my first love of Star Wars was the Ewoks. I have to come to it. That. That, was, that was my entree into the world, and I still maintain that small bears that murder stormtroopers are pretty awesome. <laughs> Chief Chirpa is a stone-cold killer, and don't forget it. He was three minutes from killing Han Solo. <laughs> that is closer than Boba Fett ever <laughs> What I'm hearing is Ewok Mandos. Yeah, it's like the Monty Python thing. Oh, it's just a cute little bear. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, uh, my favorite character that I've gotten right has to be Leia Organa. Uh, that has been a joy. Uh, my favorite character that I don't have a book about yet, uh, I'm hoping, is Qui-Gon Jinn. And probably my, my favorite creative character uh, from Bloodline is Ransom Castrofo. So can you take us through your process in writing uh, for Lucasfilm and the involvement of the story group at this point? Whoever would like to jump in now. Everybody's like, you go first. <laughs> I think we had a different experience then. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll start. I got an email really out of the clear blue sky one day, and I was already incredibly busy with projects. We were like, they can't want it that fast. They must have typed the wrong year on, on the contract. They had not. Um, but they wanted uh, the story of two childhood friends who were very close to each other and uh, had ret retained this bond. They were like, even though the idealistic girl goes into the rebellion and the angry guy joins the empire. And I wrote back and I said, I really think the idealistic girl needs to be with the empire and the angry guy should be in the rebellion. And they're like, okay. Uh, which, uh, you know, and I was really surprised because I thought they were gonna give me an outline. They would say, you write this. And that was not true at all. With both Lost Stars and Leia Princess of Alderaan, I had like three lines of a pitch. There was a little bit more of the bloodline because they had to explain the political situation of the galaxy, but that was still about a page and a half. Um, and I will say the process has evolved for me because the first time around I thought, well, I can write whatever I want. No. You know? uh, and then the second time, since we were having to write something that led up to The Force Awakens and I had not seen The Force Awakens, uh, that was more complicated. But uh, with Leia, Princess of Alderaan, I had finally begun to get like very early on, I would say like, can I cover X? Can I cover Y? Before I'd even started plotting. Uh, and it took shape from there. So the first rule of story group is you do not talk about story group. <laughs> and the second rule of story group is you, you do not talk about story group. Yeah. Um, but they're awesome. But I didn't say that, you can't prove it. <laughs> um, so my, my beginning with Star Wars 
came when I got an email from my agent that said, I'm totally going to blow your mind right now. And I was driving at the time with my family, and we lived in the mountains of Georgia. And it's like, I looked at my email, saw the title, and then we dipped into a holler, which in Georgia means you're below the cell signal. And so my phone cut out. <laughs> and so I was like, drive faster. <laughs> and, and it was uh, the invite to write about Bazin Natal, the story of the perfect weapon, which was one of the first new canon stories going into um, The Force Awakens which uh, I, didn't, I hadn't seen it, I didn't get to read a script, and I said, well, what do I need to know to write this story? They gave me one photograph from the Annie Leibovitz um, thing, and then said, just Google The Force Awakens spoilers, and you'll just get uh, whatever you need. <laughs> um, and I saw so many things I didn't need to save. <laughs> but um, yeah, so in the end, I got, uh, I think, an amazing kind of freedom that maybe you didn't get with the old canon, where instead of looking at, you know, 200 books spanning all of these worlds, um, I kind of pulled out my old Star Wars RPG books and looked through them. They're like, no, 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 just make it up. But you're like, really? <laughs> you trust me very much. Um, and so it was, it was super fun and, and went back and forth. And Phasma was a much different experience um, because, you know, it's tied into several different movies and, and um, uh, you know, a short story about a character that is kind of gone is a lot different from a character that you have to tie in. and. Um, there are so many do's and don'ts, but it's been super fun and super amazing, and I, I really enjoyed it. And I want to do more. Yeah. Um, so I wrote the, the first draft of Ahsoka at my family's cottage, uh, which has no internet. And it was at that point that I realized I cannot spell anything in Star Wars, like nothing. Uh, I think I spelled Coruscant differently every time I had to type. And, um, like all of the words that I totally would have just looked up on Wikipedia, like do they wear parkas? Do they have ducks? Like all that kind of stuff. Um, so ducks. they do, it turns out. Um, so <laughs> that's ducks wear parkas. <laughs> the ducks wear tiny duck parkas. Yeah. So yeah, that's how you know it's Star Wars. Um, the the parkas are probably lined with pork feathers, but we didn't know that at the time. Um, so. I'm not saying the ducks are good guys. Ducks are the worst. I don't know if you've ever met them. Anyway, so um, I found out at that point that the story group was really patient and understanding of someone who is like, I'm not sure how many Y's are in Kashyyyk, so I'm just going to spell it differently every time. Um, and put in a lot of square brackets for like, insert canon later. Now I try to write where I can Google stuff at least. Well, unlike these guys, um, my experience was, was legendary. Um, but like Delilah, we we were at the very beginning. We didn't have all this reference stuff. We made up all the reference stuff. So I mean, for us, it was completely clear. And and I remember uh, Lucasfilm calling up one day, um, Kevin, somebody in the Dark Horse comics. They want to they want to do this. Um, can they do that? And I went sure. And so that got into the Dark Horse comics. Um, I, was, I had written and published, I think, nine of my own novels, and uh, I, had, I had never been asked to do any media tie-in books or anything like that. And, but what I had done was I had always turned in my books on time. I was easy to work with. I did the revisions that the editor asked for, uh, and I wasn't a jerk. And so that passed all the criteria that we needed at the time. Um, and I got a phone call. Well, I, I worked a full-time job. And I lived in California, so it's three hours off from New York, where all the editors live. And I came home one Friday afternoon to find a message on my answering machine 
that said, hi Kevin, this is your editor from Bantam Books. I got something to ask you and it's really, really, really important. Call me as soon as you can, which was five o'clock on Friday afternoon in California. So there was no way I could call New York until Monday morning, which was a very long weekend. Uh, and I finally called her up like, what? Because it, are they gonna offer me a, like a three book contract? What are they gonna offer me? And she says, oh yeah, um, Kevin, do you like Star Wars? And went, yeah, everybody likes Star Wars. What do you want? Because there, there were well, Tim's book had just come out, but there weren't, there wasn't a Star Wars line. I mean, there wasn't a lot of other Star Wars books. And she said, "Do you want to write three sequels to it?" I went, "Well, you have to think long and hard about stuff like this." <laughs> um, so, like a nanosecond later or so, I went, "Sure, I can do that." So, but again, at the time. I didn't get an outline. I didn't get anything. They just said, what do you want to do? And I, I sent them some. I, I said, how about uh, Luke tries to train some more Jedi Knights and something goes wrong? Sure, do that. Um, I said, how about that there's a, a big... I was thinking of like the like those old World War II movies where like the Japanese soldier is on an isolated Pacific island and he doesn't know the war is over. So I said, what if there's this big Imperial research lab that... They're, they're the ones that designed the Death Star. They're the ones that, that are building all kinds of really nasty weapons, and they're off in this black hole cluster, and they don't know, uh, they don't know the war's over. And they said, sure, do that too. So that was the Jedi Academy trilogy. Yeah, one of the nice things for, uh, about working for Lucasfilm is they don't give you, here are the five characters and the eight plot points, put them into a book. It's a what do you want to do, and we'll tell you the parts you can't do because they run into walls or whatever. Um, the difference, really the big difference working on Thrawn as opposed to my earlier legend books is that the story group has things really down, packed down tightly now. So they know everything that's happening in the movies, TV shows, comics, books, games. So there's a certain amount of freedom of, okay, I will write this if it's wrong for the era, they will catch it. So for example, in Thrawn, I, the original short story I had done had TIE Fighters a couple of years after uh, the Clone Wars. And one of their comments was, TIE Fighters don't exist yet in this, we suggest this Starfighter, Imperial Starfighter instead. However, they will start being introduced about halfway or so through your book, you can start basing them in at that point. <laughs> Or things like one of my characters, uh, basically a walk-on character for one chapter, they said, this name is very similar to a name showing up in a different project. Can you change it so there's no confusion? Perfect, sure. Uh, so we, we have a, I'll just write what I think will work. If there are any tweaks, they will catch it. And that's that's very freeing feeling. I don't have to worry about stepping on hot coals everywhere. We didn't even have a story group. No. So what have you found to and be we the... walked uphill to school. No. <laughs> what have you found to be the most difficult part, or the, the most difficult thing to write in Star Wars? Or in any of your books? The what was the challenge? Catching the, capturing the characters, the movie characters correctly, was my biggest fear going in, as well as writing something that felt like this is Star Wars, even though it's not what George has already done. So, but, but if you can't capture the characters, it's not Star Wars, it's, it's an adventure of two guys named Han and Luke, and it's not the same. 
And I think that's all, always the fear lurking in the back of our mind. If I don't get this right, I'm going to get emails. <laughs> there was no email when you started. <laughs> I, I updated the comment. Okay. <laughs> letters. Um, yeah, the, that is one of the, the more difficult parts is that you've got this huge responsibility on your shoulders. And, and again, it was easier for us when there were, we had the three movies and there were some West End game books that we just had to make sure things weren't contradicting. Um, I, uh, you know, the, the, last, the last writers who did the Legends books, before they were Legends, had like, what, 300 books that they had to take into account, plus comics and everything else. Um, and, I mean, nobody, it's not anybody in this room, but outside in the other part of the world, there are fans that are a little obsessive. And I had, I had one in, in, I think, Dark Apprentice. Lando and, and Chewie are going to try to rescue Han Solo from the Spice Mines of Kessel. And they're kind of hiding in the shadows of the asteroids. They're going to go in. And Lando says... Um, you know, I'd rather have a straight-up fight than to be skulking around here waiting for our opportunity. I got a fan who wrote me a seven-page letter that said, Lando Calrissian would never use the word skulking. And I wrote back, well, yes, he would. It's on page 48 of my book. That book is not um, but, but one of the, the real... But I had not written Star Wars or media tie books before. I, I wrote critically acclaimed novels, which means nobody read them. And so I didn't deal with like baskets of fan mail and, and fans finding nitpicky things. So this was all new to me. I didn't, I didn't get any of that. To me, the hard part was I knew I had to write... Um, well, my, my first books were like angry young man books with anti-heroes and the, you know, critically acclaimed stuff. Uh, and for Star Wars, I had to write, like, fun stuff and romance and humor and color and, and action. And it, it really and truly was a learning experience for me. And I'm glad I learned it because I like those kind of books a whole lot better. I have a very expressive face. Um, as you may have noticed. And so when The Force Awakens came out, it came out just before Christmas. And literally every time I saw my family during the month of December, they would look at me and be like, have you ever thought about writing a Star Wars book? And I had already finished the outline and couldn't tell anybody. So I was like, yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> I got really good at it, but I almost skipped Easter because it was like three days before the announcement and they all knew that I was up to something and I couldn't tell them what it was and they were starting to get really antsy about it and I was like, I'm just not gonna go to Easter. And my dad was like, I'll fend off your cousins. And so I went and then three days later I got several angry phone calls from relatives and I was like, I don't think you understand what I had to sign to get permission to do this. And that for me was the hardest part because my family, even the ones that don't necessarily like Star Wars, uh, like me a lot. And so they want me to be like excited and doing stuff. And the people who wanted to write Star Wars were like, I can't believe you sat on that for so long. And I was like, neither can I. I had the same problem when I when I went out to San Francisco to meet with Story Group. My kids were like, are you going to con? And I was like, sure. <laughs> they were like, what did you do? Did you take pictures? And I was like, what? 
Where did you get that shirt for Daddy? I found it in the garbage. I don't know. <laughs> um, so yeah, the line is tough. Um, but no, I, 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 I feel like the fool in the tarot deck. Like I've just been so happy and excited, and every part of writing for Star Wars has felt like so fortunate and blessed. And um, most of my books are ba my, before Star Wars. Most of my books are predicated on rebellion and flipping tables, where you know, like I didn't want to accept the Apple terms of service, so I wrote a book about how if you accepted, accepted the Apple terms of service, they could kill you. Um, so I'm always like, yeah, I don't care if you like it. I just did it for whatever. I don't get. But with Star Wars, I care about it so much. I feel like Star Wars is history that actually happened. It's more real to me than Grover Cleveland. <laughs> and I just want my editors and, and Del Rey and the fans to all feel like it's true to Star Wars and like they like it. Like I don't. I, I'm sure, I know, like, I don't read the reviews, and I know every book's not for every person, but I'm just like, I just really want you to like it. <laughs> and, like, I got to write some Han Solo in, in, the, in the Scorched short story that's in Star Wars Insider 165, and I was like, I agonized over every line of dialogue where I'm like, is this the most Han thing that could be said? Is there something more Han-ish? <laughs> um, because it's it's real to us. Like it's a real living, growing thing, and we care about it as much as you do. So I just I, it's the first time where I've been like, please, sir, enjoy my baby. Um, one thing that I work a lot with that I struggle a lot with sort of a macro and a micro problem. The macro problem is I really struggle hard with making it as cinematic and as visually innovative as it ought to be. I mean, visual imagination is not my thing. You know, if I were an artist, you know, it'd be stick figures, you know, acting out Star Wars. And so, you know, the incredible visions that they have in these movies, the design, uh, you know, you want to live up to that and make that be alive on the page to some degree. It can't be, you know, oh, here's Luke and Han sitting in a room, and, and now they're sitting in another room, and now Chewbacca's in the room, you know? Uh, you have to create that sense of it, and, and since I, I really feel like, with my visual imagination, that I really have to work with that, and I spend a lot of time going through sort of the art of Star Wars books, and a lot of the non-fiction technical things to look at ships and look at concept things of, concept art of worlds and droids, and try to inspire uh, my vision in that way because I feel like that's as much a part of it. I feel like if that's not there, you'll know just as much as you'd know if a character line was off. Like, you, you might not be able to put your finger on it as easily, but you would know it didn't feel like Star Wars. So that is something that I am really conscious of and struggle with a lot. Uh, the micro difficulty is I discovered on Bloodline that it is really hard to write C-3PO dialogue. Because, like, I mean, I love him and everything, but when you start breaking him down word for word, you're like, he, he is a little annoying, kind of. And, and how do I do this? And then finally, like, about halfway through, I realized the trick is the exclamation point. Because C-3PO thinks everything he says is the most important thing that could be said. And so I think literally half the exclamation points I've ever used in my writing are in C-3PO's <laughs> You know what also was hard was like when you're writing a droid that makes noises. We're used to like when we hear R2 or BB-8 beep and boop, like we're like, oh yeah, I totally know what he just said. But when you're writing that, you know, like beep, boop, beep, bop, beep, burped. Because you know where you said as writers, you're supposed to say like said. You're not supposed to be like she gesticulated madly, but you're just like beep, boop, bleep, beep, blarped, blarped. <laughs> All right, so we're getting ready to open it up to fan questions, and while we do that, um, can you guys please tell us, now that you're welcomed into the fold, or old pros into the fold of the Star Wars fandom at this point, what's been your favorite interaction with fans? 
And if you all have any questions, please come line up now. The, the favorite interactions are the ones that start out with, yours was the first book I read for fun, or your book helped me through a really bad time in my life, your book helped me through deployment, or I have dyslexia, it's really hard to read, but your book was worth it. Those are the, those are the ones that make all of this really worthwhile. Yeah, exactly, and I know we're supposed to be having fun here, but if there is, um, I had one, when you do the book signings and when you do these conventions, you actually meet face-to-face -face the fans, which is, like, when I was writing non-Star Wars books, you never got any of that. And, uh, you know, I was doing a book signing like, for the first or second Star Wars book I did, and this mother brings her, her eight-year-old, or no, 10-year-old son, and introduces him to me, and then she burst into tears, and he had severe dyslexia, and he was flunking out of school, and he did special ed, and hated reading, and one day he decided he wanted to read my book, so he taught himself to read, reading that. Um, I, I have people who bring up their, their kids who are named after Star Wars characters in my books, and I would take pictures with them. And my, my best one, I got a letter from somebody who was 17 who uh, has brittle bone syndrome, so he's, he's he sneezes and he breaks a rib, and uh, he's he's very handicapped and will probably not live beyond 2025. And he said his life was terrible and he was going to kill himself, but decided to stay alive because he wanted to keep reading my books. That mm. you can't you can't match anything like that. That's this is this is what it's about. Can I have something fun here. <laughs> okay. I was that was the what. what I do have a funny one. Um, what Tim said about people on deployment, I was not expecting. And I've got a lot of fan mail from people who were like, you wrote PTSD really well. And I'm like, good. <laughs> I hope you're talking to a professional and not just a Star Wars author about this. Um, but I got to go on tour with Ashley Eckstein. <laughs> and if you have ever met Ashley Eckstein, you'll know that like rainbows and kittens appear around her. She is outstanding as a human person. And um, so seeing people's reactions to her and her reactions to them was just outstanding. It was probably the best introduction to the Star Wars fandom at large that I could have possibly gotten. And um, it, was, it was really, really good. I, my book just came out yesterday, so. so 24 hours. Um, I got to hold the cord. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I um, at, at uh, Star Wars Celebration, where we announced this, um, immediately afterward, we had a signing with Christy Golden. They just shown the Battlefront cover for Inferno Squad, and um, they, they brought up, you know, an eight-year-old girl who, or I think she was 10, who wanted to be a writer and meet us, and she had, like, tears in her eyes, and that was very special. And yet, on a different level, there's this moment where my kids are eight and 11 and they don't think what I do is interesting at all. And my son came home and was like, mom, I told somebody you're writing a Star Wars book and they said, you're cool. <laughs> and I was like, mic drop, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what Tim and Kevin talked about, those, those interactions are the most meaningful when you reach a non-reader or somebody who's been going through a really tough time. But um, 
you know, they covered that really beautifully. So my personal favorite, it's not a single interaction, but a group of interactions. Uh, when Lost Stars was announced, you know, it was gonna be young adult and it was going to have a romantic bent. And, you know, on certain internet forums, people were like, I don't want any young adult in my Star Wars. You know, like the book, like they're not about teenagers leaving home and having adventures to begin with. You know, like, I don't want any. You know, uh, it's like, did you watch A New Hope, actually? Uh, you know, I don't want any romance in my Star Wars. You know, and, they, you know, yeah. And then the panel took a turn. Um, and, and you know, and so the book came out, and for the teen girl readers who often do have romance in their books and they have ups and downs, uh, they're like, I really love this, this was great, etc. Of course, uh, I, I hope I'm not spoiling this, it sort of ends on a note where the lovers are not together at that point. But it's the 40 year old guys who send these emails, like, please tell me they get together. <laughs> Like those are the ones who are really caught up and have to know. And yes, I relish that deeply. <laughs> I wish I wasn't that forty-year-old guy. Sent that email. Uh, but uh, so something I was thinking about as you guys were talking, and uh, we all know Star Wars when we see it and we can feel it in our bones. Like that's Star Wars, you know. Um, but we also know, like you've talked about, what it isn't. What is it for you that you kind of clung to or found that ethereal thing that Star Wars is for you that, that makes it Star Wars? So when you're writing, like, you know, this is Star Wars. I mean, we're professional writers, and that's hard to put into words. It, it really is. I mean, for me, I think it is what I was talking about with the challenge. The sense of the cinematic, when I feel like I can see it, when I feel like that John Williams music should be there, when, that's when I'm like, yes, this is right, this is the kind of thing that it ought to be. Uh, but it's, it's, it's like you said, it's, ephem it's an ephemeral thing. It's, it's difficult to just say, that's it right there. Well, I get it. It's, it's the exuberance and the sense of wonder and the imagination that I felt when I was like 11 years old reading Edgar Rice Burroughs and reading Andre Norton and reading these books that that just got to the core of my imagination that this is, this is science fiction and what it's all about. And when I watched Star Wars the first time, I thought somebody finally gets it. And I try to feel that or capture that with Star Wars. I guess it's a mix for me of, of the adventure loyalty, friendship, sacrifice, danger, humor, all of this, there's a unique mix in Star Wars. Uh, I mean, you get similar mixes in other universes, but Star Wars has its own feel, and again, it's like we know it when we see it. It's hard to codify, though. Um, I was also going to say fun, and when you feel it scored by John Williams. Um, and so I actually listened to a lot of the Star Wars music while I was writing. And then the first time I listened to the audiobook, which it turns out is, has got the John Williams music in the background. Literally, as soon as it started, I burst into tears. I was like, Ashley Epstein is saying my name, and there's John Williams music playing, and there's like lightsaber effects and stuff like that. And that was when I felt like I'd, I'd, I'd really sort of got it maybe in the right direction was because um, someone else in a sound mixing booth, wherever they mix these things, um, had also been able to take the John Williams music and my story and put them together. And that to me was the, my favorite part. 
I feel like um, a lot of the space opera and science fiction genre is predicated on focusing on the alien, like we call them aliens, um, and on the things that are foreign and on the, the universe being an inhospitable place where scary things occur. Um, and that it's supposed to make you feel off kilter, like even in the Martian, the whole thing, you're supposed to be like, ah, it's so inhospitable. Um, and yet Star Wars, it feels like home. And so in Star Wars, it feels like there's um, a, familiar, a familiarity to things um, that speaks to you. And instead of pushing you away and trying to make you feel uncomfortable, it, it pulls you in with, um, even you know, in the cantina, there are things that, that don't feel foreign, but that feel like you've come to a comfortable place. Um, also, I'm, I'm personally really big into the animals. Um, I love <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I mean, like you know, brontos and dewbacks and raincores. But that's what I mean. I was super excited just to like the thought of like I get to make up an animal. I love it so much. So like in Star Wars, you know, in the movies, it's one of the first things I start doing on a new planet. Is like I'm looking for the little bird that peeks up, and I'm looking for the little quacky and monkey lizards, and I'm looking for like what people are are writing, and I I love this sense of like it's it's like a little kid going to a zoo. I'm like, what are you going to show me now? Oh, there's people I don't care. Just show me like animals <laughs> and, and the, the swingy swords with the light. <laughs> okay, so my question is for Mr. Zong. And um, first I wanted to say, if you haven't listened to the Thrawn trilogy on Audible, you should because it's like a freaking space opera and it's amazing. <laughs> and the, the guy who reads it does amazing voices. But anyway, so um, Thrawn as a character is super fleshed out and you've had quite a bit of time between the original series and your most recent work. Is there anything you wanted to add to the character that you got to include to the newest Thrawn book? Nope. <laughs> no, no, really, I consider it's all the same character, just in different eras. There's nothing in the new book that contradicts anything else I've done, nothing that they've done in Rebels that contradicts the book or anything I, else I've done. So I'm just trying to make a continuity in this character throughout everything with the hope that at some point Lucasfilm may invite some other books or characters back on stage after they've cleared it off of, of legends while they're figuring out what they're doing. So no, this is, this is the same character, nothing I wanted to add, just bring him up and see how he does in this particular era. So three years ago, Tim, I met you in an elevator and you convinced me to read your book. So I read the first um, part of the Thrawn trilogy. Claudia is turning me to her side with the new Leia book <laughs> after last night. Um, with the new Thrawn book, do you need to have read the first three or will you understand everything just starting with the new one? The, the original trilogy takes place 10 to 12 years after the new book, so you don't need to know anything about that to pick up the new one. And which elevator are you gonna be in tonight? <laughs> yes, I'm one of those 40-something year old men who really need to see the stars. Um, just like, out of curiosity, when you when you work with story group, and I know you can't say what what goes on, how, how often did they say no, no, you know, go somewhere else or switch around here, try something else? For all of you, I don't I don't know if there's any one single answer to that for me. I do remember the first time it happened was with Lost Stars, and uh, I wanted the Devastator to be somewhere, 
you know, and they came back and they're like, it's not there. <laughs> and I'm like, it's an imaginary shit that exists inside our heads and it could be anywhere. And they're like, it's not there. <laughs> and, you know, in all my time as a writer, since this was my first tie-in, like, you know, when you're a writer, you get to imagine it and it all happens the way you say it happens. And that was the first time that, you know, I'd imagine something for a story and it was just wrong, you know. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, the more I do it, the more I get a better sense of probably where is going to be free to play and where is not. You know, I mean, with Bloodline, I kept wanting to say all this stuff about, like, Ben Solo, et cetera, et cetera, and they were like, you do understand that the movies may cover this. <laughs> that somehow that is not all up to me. It's like, well, fine. Uh, one of my, my first little email forays back and forth with my editor on The Perfect Weapon, when we were, I didn't understand the process yet, and I was just very like, what can I do? What do we do? What do we do? And I was like, are there any hard no's? And they were like, yes. There is one hard no of which we ever, ever speak. The Boffins. <laughs> we do not speak of the Boffins. We don't think about the Boffins. They don't exist. You, none of you, you don't want to sell me death sticks today and you don't know about Boffins. I, I had a Boffin like walking by and they're like, no. <laughs> they're not walking anywhere? It's just like, no Boffins. <laughs> Universe. Somebody gonna make those shirts? They, they did say many Bothans died. <laughs> but uh, the second Death Star. My my question's for Mr. Zahn. So as a young soldier, Eli Vanto is one of the first characters that I've really felt uh, that I can really connect with, uh, and, and I, I see parallels between him and Captain Pelion. Do you have? future plans for Mr. Vanto? I have proposals at Del Rey. <laughs> Hi, Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> the bottleneck is, as always, Lucasfilm. Seems there's this movie, uh, The Last Jedi, coming out in December. <laughs> it's taking a lot of their time and energy with the movie and all the spin-offs and tie-ins and everything. So when you are working in an era of a Star Wars movie every year, your magic word is patience. So when we ever get clearance and all that, uh, you'll, you'll all be the first to know or something. So Kevin, just along these lines, what's your number one character you've written that you'd love to bring into the new canon? Um, well, Admiral Dalla is a fairly important one, and um, Kip Duran, one of Luke's, but, but Kip probably won't because The Last Jedi will probably cover some of the students Luke screwed up with. Uh, I don't say that with any knowledge, I'm just, just extrapolating. Um, but I, as they go further along, I wish that they would pull in some of the young Jedi Knights, but again, there's a lot of elements of the young Jedi Knights in like Ray and Kylo Ren and stuff. So I'm screwed. You be hopeful. Okay, I'm hopeful. That's what I meant. 
I'm, I'm just curious how you guys felt about them taking the EU and just destroying it and making okay, now saying, okay, we're starting a new canon after they have hundreds of books already out, and okay, we're going to start. Well, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> when, when I was uh, six years old, I picked up my brother's copy of The Courtship of Princess Leia, and I read the back of it, and I thought to myself, Leo would never do that. And with all the conviction of a six-year-old, did not pick up another extended universe book until Kenobi. <laughs> I've gone back and done some catching up to her. Um, so I guess I've always been, I think probably because of the visual aspect that you were talking about earlier, I've always been much more attached to the movies. Um, and the lack of female characters for me to connect with um, in the EU, present company accepted, with Mara Jade, obviously, um, was always something that I wasn't really looking for. So I didn't have like a huge emotional connection to the EU, even though I know that people really did. And I really respect that. But for me, it was kind of almost a relief to be like, I wonder what we can do now. Um, just sort of almost experimental, basically. Also, just as a peer reader of the EU, and I did have strong feelings about the EU and went and got all these things. Remember when there were Walden books in the mall? Like, yeah, you guys had me going to Walden books a whole lot. Um, but I knew, long before I knew I'd ever do a Star Wars book, when I heard that they were going to do another movie, I knew immediately. I was like, the EU isn't going to be canon. There is absolutely no way that Disney's going to come out with this movie that could be the number one movie in the world forever long and go, okay, everybody, we need you to read these 35 books first. It just wasn't going to happen. You know, well, like critical, whatever, you know, and, and I understood that. But to me, like Star Wars, it's almost more than a story. It's kind of like our modern myth, our modern legend. And there are alternate ways to tell legends. There's more than one version of what happens with Arthur and Lancelot and Guinevere. There's more than one version of the Greek myths. And it makes sense to me that there's more than one version of what happens in Star Wars. Well, and, and you have to... And again, the, 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 like Claudia, when I knew they were doing another one, I said, well, J.J. Abrams is not going to read 350 books and then say, oh, all the good ideas are already used. Because let's face it, with all of those books, all of the obvious ideas you would do for episode seven was in one or the other of the books somewhere. But, you know, I've worked a lot in comics, and how many times have we rebooted Batman and Spider-Man and Superman? And, and the, you know, it's okay, Star Wars is sacred, but it is okay to do something at a different um, um, timeline. And think, keep in mind, like the Avengers movies, Iron Man, all that, those aren't canon. Those are not the story that's in the Marvel comics. So, you know, I can actually watch the Avengers and still read the comics and be cool with both of them. I'm just glad that they kept our books in print. They could have just said they don't count anymore, take them out of print. Yeah, I, I guess the analogy I use, very similar to what was mentioned here, is, uh, some of you have heard this before because I keep trotting it out. Uh, we've been asked this before. Yeah. <laughs> you're, sitting, you're sitting around the campfire, Coruscant's a long ways away, the hall net breaks down a lot, you don't get much news out here. And on your second set of s'mores, somebody says, hey, have you guys ever heard the story of Luke Skywalker and Grand Admiral Thrawn? And he pitches this galaxy-spanning saga, 
And by the time you're in your sleeping bag and the fire is burned down, you don't know whether that was a true story based on truth or completely made up, but you enjoyed it. And that's the way to think about the Legends books, I think. So, so one time I, I went to the gym for some reason and was on a treadmill and I was reading a book. And I read something so disturbing that my feet slipped and I fell face first on the treadmill and did that thing where you zip off the back of it. And I stood up and the guy next to me was like, oh my God, are you okay? And I was like, no, sure, he's dead. <laughs> so there's the bright spot in my day. Uh, for the women on the panel, uh, between the three of you now, you've been able to add to the backstory of three very iconic female characters in Star Wars. I uh, just wondered what it was like to inhabit you know, their minds and play around in their backstories that are now going to go forward and continue as, as canon for those characters. I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again because it's really true. You know, people are like, oh, how did you gear up to write Princess Leia? How did you, how did you get into her head? And I'm sort of like, I've done nothing since I was seven years old except ask what it would be like to be Princess Leia. You know, and then finally they're like, okay, fine, we'll pay you for it. Like, yeah, I want to go back to like little eight-year-old me and go, keep on, keep on, right? Yes, yes, that's career preparation. Um, you know, so that was something that I'd always wanted to do and it was this incredible thing to get to do it. But with writing um, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, I'd already outlined the book. I already had the story before Carrie Fisher's death, so it did not affect the overall plot of the story. But it made me understand that, you know, the last Jedi is really the last that we're gonna get of her, and so that, in a way, her story is very complete. And it gave me a sense of the, like, you could see the overall shape of her life now. And knowing that, I think, really added to the flavor of uh, Leia, Prince of Alderaan, because like this is somebody for whom the fight never ends, you know. Uh, and really, I mean, she is the warrior of of Star Wars. She was in that fight before Luke and Han got there, and she was there after they were gone. And she never ever stopped. And that kind of knowledge that, that this is it, uh, that really went into Princess of Alderaan a lot. So I didn't watch The Clone Wars until um, it was almost over because I was deeply afraid that it would make me love the clones and then I would be very sad. I mean like even more sad than usual when I watch Revenge of the Sith. Um, so I missed all of the early days when everyone was like, oh this 14 year old girl acts like a 14 year old girl, how horrific. <laughs> um, so it's like one of those things that I've only, I've only heard the stories told around the campfire with s'mores. Um, and so I knew sort of what I was getting into, but I hadn't really experienced any of it. So I wanted to write a book for like the girls who had seen her when they were like 11 or 12 and had watched the whole show and, and loved her. And so for me, it was fortunate because um, Ashley Eckstein has such a memorable voice that I could hear all of Ahsoka's dialogue in that voice, which was great, um, it helped a lot. But in terms of getting into her head, um, it was very sort of 
usually when kids ask, I'm like, it was great and also terrifying, which is the truth. Um, and I really enjoyed it, but it was at the same time, I was like, I hope I'm getting this right or I'm gonna get those emails Jim was talking about. I, I feel super blessed and fortunate in that the, the two characters I've gotten to spend the most time writing for Star Wars are female bad guys. And that's something that we didn't get, you know, that we haven't seen as much maybe, especially on screen, like we know we've seen in Clone Wars and things, but um, you know, Bazina Tall, the, the main brief I had was female James Bond in space, but evil, <laughs> which, you know, you can roll with that. And then, and then Phasma, um, I mean, the whole thing is that no one knew who was under that helmet, and as we got to find out, um, it was so neat to show who she was, and, and the whole idea is, is to understand why she's made the decisions that she's made, why she did what she did on Starkiller Base, why she acts the way that she acts. Um, but it was really fun to watch her through other people's eyes, um, to, to see other people perceiving her and trying to understand her as a villain, and she's so unapologetic. Um, I love that aspect of the certain villain. It's like, I, I love Hannibal for the same reason. Like, they have, they know who they are, they have no problems with it, and, and you're not going to stop them. And I, I loved writing a woman that could be that way um, in the Star Wars universe. And just everybody she touches knows who she is by the time she walks out the door. All right, so, not sure if you can tell, but I'm a big fan of Thrawn. Uh, so my question for all of you is, what goes into writing a great villain? And specifically for you, Timothy, what goes into writing a character that's so complex and intelligent uh, as the Grand Admiral? I think you need to have a villain whose motivations, backstory, personality, whatever, is understandable to the reader. That you can see, I, I see what this person is doing, I understand what they're doing, I don't agree with it because our heroes are in the way of that juggernaut, but I can understand. With Thrawn particularly, you can sympathize because you get hints of what, what his goal is, what his motivation is, and you can't entirely disagree with it. You can disagree with his methods, but you can kind of sympathize with what he is going for. So for me, that's the way to do it. Understand the villain, make sure the reader has an idea of, of what the villain is trying to do, uh, disagree or not, but uh, they're the villain because here are the heroes and the villain is opposing them. I had a creative writing teacher once who, who taught me one rare, very important thing, and they don't often teach very important things, um, but the, the really important thing was that, that he said, no villain ever thinks he's the bad guy. And you really have to get into the villain. I mean, the guy who's like, ha, 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 I'm going to take over the world, and nobody wants to take over the world. Um, that's a lot of work. Um, you've got to think of what is the motivation of this this villain, and, and the reason they're a villain is because you don't quite agree with either the methods or what their objective is. But you've got to get into their head of why they think it's really the right thing to do, and uh, really get into their what they will do in order to accomplish the things that they're they're doing. In fact, villains are much more interesting to write than, than the heroes because the heroes are like, stop the bad guys. Um, the heroes are often reactive and the villains are often proactive. 
and you got come up with this great villain who has got this really great scheme that's going to make the world wonderful by sterilizing it of all human life forms, and why it would be nice and clean that way, and well, I'm just making that up. So that you get into what the villain really wants, and, and that's what makes it interesting. Um, someone tweeted at me one time, they were like, I know I'm reading an E.K. Johnston book because there's no villains and everyone does their job. <laughs> and I don't even know which book they were reading. <laughs> um, and I think when I, I, do, I don't tend to write like actually present villains, I much more prefer sort of, um, not even really the villain inside you, but like the circumstances or just something that's, something that you can't stab at any point. Um, but when I'm reading villains, the sort of terrors of my childhood are Darth Vader and the Ringwraiths, because they don't stop. They just keep coming. Same with the Terminator. Like you just, they just, they, you can't stop them. They are always going to come for you. And even though the Ringwraiths do have backstories, and Vader does have backstories, and the Terminators kind of have front stories, <laughs> um, then they, they still have that sort of like implacability where like you can't even run or hide. <laughs> like, you just have to hope for the best. Yeah, I, I um, in Phasma, on the back, the dude with the, the red Stormtrooper helmet, Cardinal, um, in almost any other book, he would be the villain. He is um, a powerful person in the First Order, and we all know the First Order is evil, but you read that book and you're like, dude, you're okay. <laughs> so it's, it's really fun to, to, you know, especially in Star Wars, to play with like those guys that died on the Death Star. Some of them are just plumbers that were like, honey, guess what? We can get the dental plan. <laughs> and you killed them. <laughs> um, one thing I think is interesting to play with with a villain um, is, you know, find the things that make them feel very vulnerable or human, whether that's a small weakness or something positive about them in a way, because really the person who can feel some degree of compassion or show some degree of fairness and then turn on you is much scarier than the mustache twirling all the time. Batty. And I also think it's really interesting to look at how different people will see them. Uh, in Lost Stars, you know, Tarkin makes an appearance. And so far as Thane and Cyan ever know, Tarkin was the greatest guy. Wasn't he awesome? He, he treated them very well in this moment. And we know he's being very manipulative, but they are eight. They don't know this. And they never deconstruct that later. Like, he will always be in their minds as sort of this kindly figure that let them go on this ship for the first time. Or one thing I really enjoyed with Bloodline, there's uh, the character Lady Carice, and um, you know, the, basically Leia gets a kind of revenge at, on her at the end, and it's a really kind of small, almost petty revenge, but Leia knows it's the one thing that will actually hurt her, because you know, her personality, that this thing would get to her in a way that a more aggressive attack would not. You know, and I think it's more interesting to come at things like that, to, to get into little, into smaller nuances. And I think you can play with it more and make it a little more complicated. My favorite evil is seductive evil. You know, Palpatine didn't go after Anakin and be like, dude, kill your wife! <laughs> he did the opposite. Uh, real quick. Um, 
after 25 years of wishing, hoping, praying, <laughs> Thrawn's canon, what does it mean for your characters to become canon, and what would it mean for your characters to become canon? Your new book is called Thrawn's Canon, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just to do that. I mean, I, I, it was a privilege to be able to write Star Wars books and stories. Uh, they were made legends. That's okay. I've had a lot of fun doing this. And now it's sort of like a second lease on life that, oh, now the, the, the character is now official. Uh, you know, I was talking about the legends before. In some ways, I think of the Thrawn trilogy going from a legend of Robin Hood it's now kind of a legend of Davy Crockett. In other words, there are still legend stories, but they're about somebody who does, quote, actually exist. So it's, I mean, it's been only a year. It feels like a lot longer, but it's only been a year since Thrawn made his debut in Rebels, season three. So what's going to happen beyond that? Well, he's in season four. We know that from the trailer. Uh, aside from that, I don't know where it's going, but uh, it's been a great ride, and I'm Looking forward to doing more of it. I sorry, I sort of only. Oh, sorry, was that a general question? I kind of thought about it really generally when I was writing new characters because I was like, oh my god, new characters in Star Wars. Um, but then I started getting emails that were like, thank you for not killing the black queer girl, <laughs> and I was like, you deserve so much better than that. But also, you're welcome. Um, and sort of that was when it kind of hit home for me that like okay, this is like gonna be in a, she she has a Wikipedia article now, which I thought was cool. Oh, wait, can I tell one story? I'm sorry, I'll make it quick. Um, people are always like, do you put people you know in your stories? And there's only one yes to this. And my good friend Rodney is Yendora Bryloff, who has a really big part in Lost Stars and a smaller part in Bloodline. And, you know, so he became canon. And then they're like, oh, by the way, you know, he's gonna show up in uh, Chuck Wendig's Life Debt. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, I didn't tell Rodney this, and he's like, get off. <laughs> you know, and then like, he got a Wikipedia entry, and he's like, I, I, look at this, it's happening. I'm, I'm a character out there. Anyway, and so of course he tells everybody like, I'm Yendor in Star Wars. Um, you know, but then he, his coworkers late one evening decided to do a web search for Yendor and they found fan art of Yandor. <laughs> and yes, it was erotic fan art of Yandor. <laughs> but they responded like mature professionals by printing out hundreds of copies. <laughs> so there is a downside to having characters become canon, and that is it. I, yeah, it, yeah, it's really, yeah, the, that was the best. <laughs> I do have one final question and comment on that. On that, uh, I am. I got a very small bit in the Rebels season three Blu-ray on the expanded, extended stuff. Does that mean I'm canon now? <laughs> if you've been on the Star Wars show, you have an IMVD credit. Nope. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually canon. Chuck Wendig made Sergeant Delalo Dawson <laughs> or Delal Delalo Dason. So I'm, I'm canon. <laughs> Um, do, do you guys like petty stories? Yes. <laughs> I kill lots of people in books. 
Um, no, the, you know, the, the big answer is like writing canon is a huge privilege and, and it's amazing. The petty story is that I had this boyfriend once who was like, you'll never love Star Wars as much as me. And I'm like, come at me. <laughs> Pretty much out of time, but briefly, can you all tell everybody here where you will be signing? All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening to the show. We're coming to the end of another show. We wanted to put this out there just so we could talk about Force Friday and then also give you guys this audio from Dragon Con. I guess in our sights for our next episode is the Obi-Wan and Anakin comic and Inferno Squad. I'm not quite done with Inferno Squad. I have about uh, about three hours left on the audiobook, but I really like it so far. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah, it is good. Yeah, it's I. It's not what I thought it was going to be. At no. All. Yeah, it's not, not at, all. at all. I remember talking to you about about it and you weren't as excited for it. And then I was kind of like, well, I think you might like it more than you think because we had just read Rebel Rising and we both really liked it. And you you especially really lo- liked that book. And this has a lot of connections and um, a, a very similar feel to Rebel Rising. So I was not surprised that once you started getting more into it that you're actually really liking it. Yeah, I've been proven wrong by Christy Golden and her <laughs> writing again. <laughs> we should have known. We should have known. We should have known. All right. Well, you can reach us in between shows on Twitter. We are at SWBookworms, and you can send us an email to StarWarsBookworms at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash StarWarsBookworms. Also, our Facebook group. If you'd like to join that, uh, send send over a request, and we will get you into the group. Lots of fun discussions going on over there. Uh, iTunes, you can find all of our episodes there. You can also leave us a review if you listen to the show and you enjoy it. We'd love for you to head over to iTunes and leave us a nice five-star review. You can find Teresa on Twitter and Instagram at IceColdPenguin. You can find me at AVGoins. So until next time, keep on reading and may the forest be with you.